Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on this Thursday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Joining us now, as he does every Thursday at this time, our ESPN MLB insider and Randolph Center Vermont native Buster Olney. Buster, how are you? I'm doing great, Brady. How are you doing? Excellent. Got a lot of things on the agenda I want to talk to you about today. Let's start with the news that came down just a few hours before we took the air today. No split season plan between Montreal and Tampa Bay. I never thought that this was likely, but it did seem to get very far down the process. What did you make of it being totally nixed today, kind of out of left field? Yeah, uh, I think what's happening is is that Major League Baseball is preparing for uh, the next stage. Uh, After they get the next labor agreement, after they settle the ballpark situations in Oakland and uh, for the Tampa Bay Rays, then I think they can start to talk about possible expansion. Um, and, and you know maybe they uh, you know thought that the the the, the uh, plan that the Rays had might have complicated some of those conversations. But I also thought, and you and I are on the same page on this regard. I, I thought the whole thing was a joke to begin with. Like I couldn't imagine that the Players Association. Uh, would ever sign off on an idea where the players uh, during the course of the season would play half their games in one city and half their games in another city. I just don't think that was ever realistic, uh, and it, to the degree that I never took any of it very seriously. So I, I, I wondered why they didn't uh, take care of this before. By the way, the Oakland ballpark situation seems like it's got a chance to work. We yeah. got an approval uh, in Oakland from a, a planning commission there unanimous uh, about a plan that would be a dramatic change for baseball to actually have the athletics in a new facility you know you and I going back to the Rays plan you and I were skeptics and you know you said you kind of took it as a joke do you think that Tampa Bay their ownership group took it seriously or was Montreal always being used I, I think Tampa Bay's ownership group absolutely took it seriously like they thought that this was a plan that could work for them uh, and at the very least, it could potentially work for them as a point of leverage in dealing with, uh, you know, Tampa Bay and St. Pete. But I would say this, you know, I, you know, I, all along, not only did I mention the complication about having the players split a season in two different places, but then you also wondered, like, if the Rays are trying to get a new ballpark, how in the world are they going to convince either the city of St. Petersburg or the city of Tampa to build a new ballpark when they only play 41 yeah. games. And how in the world could you get the funding, generate the funding in Montreal if you only had half the schedule? That that was always a question for me and, and part of the reason why I never took it seriously. Buster Olney, ESPN MLB Insider with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. You know, we talked about this last week about Dan Shaughnessy not voting for David Ortiz for the uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Well, yesterday Ortiz goes on WEEI in Boston and calls Shaughnessy not a very nice name. Is that a bad look for Big Poppy? Oh, I don't think so. I mean, it's in keeping. It's in keeping. I think uh, you know he's the Charles Barkley of baseball, right? Hmm. Uh, whatever he says, I think people um, they tend to roll with it more than they do with a lot of other people. And here's the thing, too. I've known Dan for so long as well. Dan rolls with that. Like you know, Dan's not going to have a problem uh, next time he's at Fenway and David Ortiz is there. You know, David Ortiz might come up and say something to him. Um, and who knows? But I, I, I think it's all, all part of the process. 
you know, we've talked uh, for, for weeks now about how David Ortiz, uh, his Hall of Fame candidacy is going to be interesting. I would tell you this story. I remember back in, I think it was 2009, he was really struggling, and I parroted on television some of what I had heard from evaluators uh, about David Ortiz struggling against inside fastballs. He was hitting, hitting under 200, and uh, David went on air uh, in Boston in one of the radio stations and talked about what a joke I was, mm. and I didn't know what I was talking about. And the next time I saw him, he couldn't have been nicer. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's just his personality. Like I said, I think he's a lot like Charles Barkley in that regard, where he says what he believes in a moment, but it's not like he's going to be sitting there holding a grudge and uh, waiting to go face-to-face with Dan Shaughnessy. You know, one a couple of things about the Red Sox in terms of on-field stuff that I wanted to get to. Look, they traded away Hunter Renfro, and I don't believe that Jackie Bradley Jr. is a 162-game outfielder for this team. There's a Japanese outfielder out there that's getting a lot of attention by the name of Saya Suzuki. Are the Red Sox lying in the weeds, you think, and they have an outfield opening? Could Suzuki be a fit for Boston? He could, theoretically, but I would say that, uh, you know, with what they have uh, coming up through the farm system, uh, you know, other alternatives, I I still believe that the priority is going to be in the infield. Uh, The perception among agents continues to be when the gun goes off, the Red Sox are going to be aggressive in the infield market. Um, you, you do wonder this week, Carlos Correa, you know, change agents, move to Scott Boris. He's looking for a $330 million contract because the Red Sox have two other Boris clients, Xander Bogarts and Raphael Devers. I don't think they'll, they'll be the team to send Carlos Correa, but I do think they're going to be involved uh, in the infield market. They've been very stealthy about that. I, I think that's where the money's going to be spent. You know, we were talking about Suzuki. With Suzuki, the longer that the lockout goes on, is it possible he just stays in Japan and doesn't come over this year? It is possible. That's happened with other players. I can't remember the names. Uh, But, sure, look, and I'm really personally uh, very pessimistic about where we're headed with this thing because I just can't identify someone who's involved in these negotiations who's going to be an agent of change who can pull the two sides together. So if you're Suzuki, uh, I think it's good that you actually have some options open because if, if the start of the season actually is delayed, let's say it's April 1st, no deal in sight, you want to play somewhere this year. You want to make money somewhere. And, you know, he could potentially go back and play in Japan for another year and wait for a labor agreement to come. Buster only ESPN MLB insider with us here on the Brady Farkas show is every single Thursday on WDEV AM and FM and WDEV radio.com Buster baseball America top 100 list came out yesterday. Red Sox have four players in the top 100. Is that only something for a nerd like me to get excited about? Should the everyday fan care about that? I think the everyday fan should care about it. Cause I do think it reflects, uh, uh, the, the reconstruction work that uh, Hein Bloom is doing in the Red Sox farm system. Uh, that, uh, and that is the perception of other teams, too. While you know, it hasn't necessarily shown at the, at the major league level in terms of a team that we look at as uh, potentially going to win the championship, but uh, you know, as they were more competitive last year, they're simultaneously adding to the depth of the organization. When Heim is with the Tampa Bay Rays, they became probably the best example uh, in professional baseball of a team that developed a consistent feeder system for the big leagues. 
And I think that's what Heim is trying to do. You know, that's what Andrew Friedman, after he left the race and went to the Dodgers, that's what he developed. Uh, and, and so to get four players in the top of 100, that's an improvement over past years for the Red Sox, and it's a great sign of what's to come. Buster, I'm going to throw you a question and a topic I never thought that I would talk to you about, but uh, let's oh talk boy. a little. Let's talk a little hockey for a second. And the reason why is oh this, no. the reason why is this. So. There's a lot of Montreal Canadiens fans here in Vermont. And, you know, we have an interest in what the Canadiens are doing, and they are horrible this year, but we have an interest because their head coach is a UVM product, Dominic Ducharme. The Canadiens just yesterday hired Kent Hughes as their general manager, who is a longtime player agent. We saw the Mets do this with Brody Van Wagenen, Brody Van Wagenen a couple years ago. Can this work? Like, what were the perils with Van Wagenen, and why didn't it work there? It seems like a, a big time conflict of interest. Yeah, potentially it is. Uh, look, it's worked in basketball. We've seen people, you know, go from working as as agents and going to the NBA, and I think it's easier for it to work there because, let's face it, you know, if you have one or two superstars, if you have LeBron, that's the backbone of a championship team. When you're talking about baseball, you're talking about hockey, you're talking about a greater need in terms of numbers. I thought when uh, when Brody went to the Mets, um, there it, it reflected, his hiring in the front office reflected the fact that he didn't have a lot of contacts uh, within the, the baseball industry on management side. You know, he struggled to fill out his staff to some degree, um, and I think that those contacts worked against him uh, he, it was clear with some of the trades that he made that he never really considered deals um, in, in a role as an agent in the way that teams do in terms of properly assessing uh, val- the value of players. I suspect that the you know that the you know anyone who's in that position now to move from an agent to a general manager job is going to study what happened with Brody Van Wagen and, and say you know what we need to improve on what he did in this way and in that way. But Brody was, right from the get-go, you knew it was going to be a disaster. One last curveball for you. Speaking of the Mets, I was scrolling through Instagram the other day, and I came across, uh, you know, winter ball in the Caribbean, and there was Robinson Cano. Is Cano part of the Mets' plans this year with his suspension up, or is he going to get cut? Well, he is part of their plans, uh, and I'm sure that the Mets, because they're obligated to pay him, what, $24 million this year, at the very least, they're going to want to put eyes on him in spring training whenever that starts. And keep in mind that, generally speaking, I think everybody in the industry assumes that the designated hitter, Universal DH, will be used in both the National League and the American League. And so if you're the Mets and you have a, you know Robinson Cano, who's always been a great hitter, on your roster and you know he's been playing, you at least want to take a look. Uh, in spring training, and if he potentially could provide something, sure, he could fill a DH role. And if he gets to spring training and he stinks, then you can cut him. Uh, you know, it was, it, it, that was one of those deals that was actually made by Brody yeah. Van Wagen. As you know, being a Mariners fan. Oh, I certainly know. So, Buster Oldie, ESPN MLB Insider. Buster, a lot of stuff, even for no baseball. We had a lot of stuff this week. So we'll talk to you again uh, in seven days. That sounds great. After the Hall of Fame announcement. That's right. We'll see if Big Poppy gets in despite Dan Shaughnessy's best efforts. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly.